Okay, let's go ahead and get started. I love hearing you talking to each other and fellowship with each other. That's, I think that's more important than listening to me ramble. So I hate to interrupt. I hate to interrupt. So, uh, yeah, turn to Second Timothy. Thanks for coming out. I was hoping the sunshine would be out this morning. This may be our, 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 our outing for the next snow that shows up. Um, we ha- I have an event tomorrow at lunch, so I'm hoping to get through the event at lunch. And I think what I was reading in the weather forecast was starting back tomorrow night, maybe, with snow. And what I read said two to five inches, which that's, I hope, is mostly snow. I, uh, you know, I always hope everybody's very, very careful in the snow. And, um, but I kind of like the smaller groups that we get sometimes when it snows. One of my practices for years, and it was a tradition here at Wesley Memorial when I came, is I never cancel 11 o'clock worship on snow days. And one of the reasons for that is um, I could get here if I had to walk. My wife says I won't do it, but I could if I had to. Um, but uh, this past Sunday, we did worship at, at 11 o'clock in the chapel, and um, had 11 of us in there, counting me and my wife. And that's really sort of fun. Um, years ago when we lived beside the church up in the mountains in Franklin, North Carolina, uh, Tammy fixed a pot of chili and took everybody home after snowy worship on a Sunday morning. But um, anyway, stay safe, stay safe. I'm always grateful that I live here in the city and our roads are taken care of pretty quickly and folks here are usually pretty good about taking care of the parking lot and the sidewalks quickly. So, Second Timothy. Um, again, one of my favorite books. You see so much about the personality of Paul in this book. He's so, he, he's so uh, personal in this letter because he's writing to Timothy. And we did a bunch of introduction last week. Um, Some of that we'll touch on some more because it comes up throughout the book, and that's why we know what we know, uh, such as what I shared last week um, in the introduction. Uh, Just so you know, if you ever are absent, uh, we we podcast about everything here at Wesley Memorial, so uh, this study's podcasted. You can just go and Look it up on our website and click on a couple things, and there you go. Uh, if you ever need to review or if you miss a session, but um, I, I've I've learned a lot during the COVID season that uh, I'm I'm very grateful for all the technology, but it's not the same thing as being in person. So look at Second Timothy. I'm I just want to go through verse seven today because. Um, Chapter 1, verse 7 is one of my life verses. Uh, When we get there, you probably will, it will sound familiar to you. But it's one of my life verses. I think it's one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. So I want to give us a chance to spend some time there. Uh, So last week we did do an introduction and then the first two verses which are Paul's salutation. Then he gets into his thanksgiving as he's writing Timothy, his protege. Uh, he, he's, he's in prison in Rome, and he's lonely. He's, he's asking Timothy to come see him. 
And we actually know the, and it's pretty certain, we know the prison in Rome where he was. It's called the Mamertine Prison. It's right off the Forum, if you've ever been to um, Rome, the ancient ruins of Rome. And the Mamertine Prison is still there. It's still preserved. It was the prison in Rome in Paul's day. And it's not much more than a hole in the ground. One of the things that we've learned in the modern world is we, we, we take care of our prisoners. We feed them and do things like that. In the ancient Roman world, they, it never dawned on them to take care of prisoners. Uh, basically, that you were in prison till you were either executed or let free, and the state did not spend any money on you, which you'll see in this letter. Uh, Paul asking his friends to bring things to him. Um, that's just the way the, the, the Romans did imprisonment. So if you're ever in Rome, because they, they won't show you unless you ask, uh, because most of the people that go to the Forum of Rome, they, they're looking at all the Roman stuff around the Forum in Rome. Uh, but you can uh, let them know you're a Christian and ask them to show you the Mamertine prison. And it's, it's right there, right off the Forum. And it probably is the prison that Paul and uh, Peter would have been in. Anyway, so he's lonely. He's asking Timothy to come to him. And uh, throughout the letter, you're going to see a lot of Paul's personal requests, particularly in the last chapter. Uh, he, 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 he warms my heart because one of the things he asked to be brought to him in prison, you'll see at the end of the, chapter, end of the book, is he asked for, um, for his books to be brought to him, his books and his parchments to be brought to him. Anyway, so look at, just by review, we'll go back over verses 1 and 2 and then move on through verse 7. So, starts off, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. We, we kept talking about how um, frequently in his letters he has to keep arguing that he's an apostle because he comes after the ministry of Jesus. Uh, when, when he pops up the first time in the book of Acts, there at the stoning of Stephen, uh, he may be a couple years post-resurrection by that point. Uh, and then he, uh, after the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, that's when he goes on a rampage to arrest Christians. That's when he goes to Damascus to arrest Christians. So he, he post-dates the ministry of Jesus all the way through the ascension. He post-dates the ministry of Jesus. So people said, Paul, how can you be an apostle? You're, you weren't there when Jesus was around. Um, but we know his answer, uh, the road to Damascus. That's why the book of Acts... Uh, includes that story three times. Um, and it's always fascinating to me that the book of Acts includes it three times. And of course, the book of Acts is written by who? Luke. So Luke includes it three times. Uh, when you look at Paul's letters, Paul never really talks about it. About the closest Paul gets is in the book of Galatians where he just says, he appeared to me. And I've often reflected on that, that as something as significant as his experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul never shares the details. Uh, Luke shares them three times in the book of Acts, but Paul never shares the details. And I've often wondered if for Paul, maybe it was um, way too personal. 
You know, some of our most personal experiences with God are really, really hard to describe um, or relate to other people. And that's why I think Paul just never does it in his own letters. Uh, but I'm grateful that, that Luke does it for us in Acts. But he, he's an apostle because he saw the living Jesus post-ascension. They're on the road to Damascus, and the living Jesus uh, commissioned him as an apostle. An apostle means one who is sent. So someone has to send you if you're an apostle. Uh, Jesus, if you're a Christian apostle. And um, Paul said, I was sent. I met the living Christ on the road to Damascus as I was persecuting the church. And one of the most significant things about that meeting, other than uh, the call of Paul and what it did in Paul's life, you notice in that Damascus Road experience, it occurs three times in Acts, he's persecuting the Christian church. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? That's how close the church, the body of Christ, is to Jesus. We are the mystical body of Christ. To persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. That's clear New Testament doctrine. And that's what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus. Not why are you going after Christians? Why are you persecuting me? Anyway, he, he was commissioned there on the road to Damascus uh, by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Again, he knows he's facing death. Uh, I think it's very different from his imprisonment that you read about at the end of the book of Acts. There he's under house arrest. He doesn't seem to be concerned that he's facing death. Uh, in the book of Philippians, which you probably wrote from that house arrest, he says in the book of Philippians, I may live, I may die. Either way is fine. Uh, with this imprisonment, as you'll see in the letter, he's, he's fairly certain he's going to die. So I, I'm not surprised that he starts out quickly talking about the life uh, that is ours in Christ Jesus, both life in this world and the life to come. To Timothy, my beloved child, we talked some last week about that mentoring relationship between Timothy and um, Paul. And then the greeting, grace, mercy, both of those uh, well, grace, mercy, and peace. Mercy and peace are very much Hebrew, Jewish greetings. Grace is the Christian edition of that. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so now let's look at his thanksgiving. He is thank he's thankful for Timothy. Uh, he's thankful for some of Timothy's family, and this is a this is an interesting section because he's going to introduce you somewhat to Timothy's mother and grandmother. Um, anyway, look at verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Again, we know about Paul. He was a Pharisee. He was trained as a Pharisee. So, um, yeah, his, his ancestors served God. Uh, he, he, he is serving God, uh, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Again, a lot of his own community, the Jewish community, even though many, many, many of those early Jews became Christians, uh, there were a lot that didn't. And they declared the Christians heretics. They declared the Christians false teachers. Um, at best, they would have seen Jesus as a failed Messiah. Your, your Messiah is not supposed to get crucified by the state. That just does not look like a successful Messiah to the Jewish people. So at best, they would have seen Jesus as a failed Messiah. At worst, they'd have seen him as a false Messiah. 
Uh, so the bulk of the Jewish community did not come to Christ. Um, Paul is saying here, though, that he is not deviating from his ancestors in, in accepting Christ. Uh, he's serving Christ with a clear conscience uh, because um, as a completed Jew, uh, Paul knows that Christ is the fulfillment of everything that's written about and promised in the Hebrew Bible. So uh, Jesus is not a deviation from the ancient faith. Uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the ancient faith. So he's, he's, he's serving God as his ancestors did with a clear conscience. And he says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. We've often reflected from this that Paul prayed twice a day, night and day. Uh, he was constant in prayer. Um, he, he prayed for Timothy. Uh, again, it's, it's amazing to see how important prayer is throughout the scriptures. Uh, prayer is central to the Christian life. Uh, Paul prayed often. He prayed, he says, at other places constantly. Sometimes he talks about, I just made mention of you in my prayers. I think he kept a prayer list, and sometimes he would just call those names out to God. Well, certainly he prayed for, for Timothy. He says, I remember you night and day. Verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see that I may be filled with joy. So um, it's always interesting to read a text like this and see what you can learn about Timothy. Evidently, no, his mother and grandmother, who you're getting ready to meet, never told him big boys don't cry. Because Paul remembers his tears. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we have an account of Timothy's tears. Um, as homework, you can go back and look at Acts chapter 20, where Paul is leaving Ephesus for what he thinks to be the last time. And again, Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus, that major, major city uh, in ancient Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. So you have that remarkable tender account in Acts 20 of Paul taking leave of the Ephesians and they're assuming it may be the last time they ever see Paul and they shed tears. So I'm sure Timothy would have been in the crowd there. So he remembers those tears from perhaps the last time he saw Timothy uh, when Paul left Ephesus. So he has a distinctive memory of a particular time. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And here comes his family. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith, and again, that says something about Timothy, sincere, deep faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Um, my mother's middle name was Lois. I'm fond of these two names. Uh, so he's mentioning Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. Evidently, they were devout Jews who embraced Christ. Uh, and again, we, we saw Paul going through Lystra in the book of Acts. Uh, he, he took Christ to Lystra. He created disciples in Lystra. So probably on his first journey to Lystra uh, is when uh, God used Paul to convert um, Timothy's family. Don't know for sure about his dad. Uh, we are told his dad is a Gentile, a non-Jew, which is why um, 
in Acts, we see that when Paul takes Timothy on his travels, because Paul always starts out, wherever he goes, in the synagogue first, his, his uh, ministry, as he says in the book of Romans, is, is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He always starts out with the Jews because, again, they're three-quarters of the way to Christ to start with. They have the scriptures. So he always starts with the Jews. So he, um, he, um, he had the, adult, the young adult Timothy circumcised in the book of Acts because everybody knew, though his mother and grandmother were Jewish, his father was not. Uh, some of you were very perceptive last week and asked me afterwards, how would they know whether or not he was circumcised or not? Um, good question. Good question. Uh, I'm sure Timothy, well, I don't know. I, if I'd have been Timothy, I'd have brought up that argument to Paul. You know, how will they know? Let's just pretend and say we did it. Um because, again, he, Paul wants to make sure Timothy can be effective among the Jews. And as a Jew, if he was not circumcised, um, he would not have been effective among the Jews. Uh, one of the things that Christians usually mess up with Paul is this. And you have to read all of Paul's writings closely. Paul argues vehemently that Gentiles do not have to keep the law, such as circumcision and kosher. Paul never argued that Jews should not keep the law. Paul kept the law. Uh, you see in the book of Acts that when Paul would go back to Jerusalem and go in the temple, he would go through rites of purification. So uh, when, you, when you hear Paul going after the law, the law of Moses, the law of Judaism, uh, you need to hear it as being said by a devout Jew. He never, ever said Jews should not keep the law and, and, and add Jesus to that. He just did not want the early Christian community to saddle Gentiles with the law. So there's Timothy half and half. But people would have known that his, his father might have made a case that you're not circumcising my kids because the Greeks and the Romans thought that was barbaric. And if you think about it a little bit, it, it's weird. It's pretty weird. Um, and they thought it was barbaric. And the other thing that was very different between the Greek, Greco-Romans and the Jews, and you know this from Hollywood, you know about all the Greeks and the Romans and their um, Olympic games, their sports, uh, their gymnasiums, their public baths. One thing is that the Greek and Romans did that Jews and those of us who have Jewish sensitivity refuse to do is hang out in the nude with a bunch of other people. We just, that's a Jewish than Christian thing. Greco-Roman world was very different. Very different. Think about all the statues that you see from the Greco-Roman world. You know, Paul as a Jew would have said, put some clothes on those people. But in the Greco-Roman world, that just wasn't who they were. You know, they, they, they were adamant that, and they were sort of right, the beauty of the human body. And, you know, the Jews would not have disagreed with that, but they had still said, quit showing it off so much. Put some clothes on that. And that's why um, in, in the Holy Land, to see ruins of a gymnasium or to see ruins of an amphitheater, um, to see ruins of baths, 
you've got to go to cities like Sepphoris, uh, Beit Sheen, or Tiberias. Those were Greco-Roman cities uh, in the Holy Land in the time of Jesus, major cities uh, in the time of Jesus. Caesarea, Philipp, uh, Caesarea Maritima was another one. But you never, ever, ever, ever read of Jesus going into those cities because they were unclean Greco-Roman cities, and they were running around naked, among other things, in those Greco-Roman cities. So those were major cities. Uh, Tiberius is in the Galilee, and Jesus was all around Tiberius. But you have no record of him going into it. Um, but they would have known about all that Greco-Roman world because of that. So Timothy was circumcised in order to be effective. Um, Paul was adamant that if, if whatever we need to do for the cause of the gospel, we need to seriously consider doing it. We need to be careful about barriers that we put up between the gospel and other people. Um, yeah, Timothy learned that lesson. And Timothy, as far as we know, did not give Paul any grief over being circumcised. His mother and his grandmother were Jews. His dad was a Gentile Greek. I think the assumption is his dad was not a Christ follower. Uh, we don't know that for sure. Other than right here, Paul is not commending the faith of his father, Timothy's father. So he probably was not Christian. Um, maybe he came to Christ at some point. But we know that Lois and Eunice were Jewish Christ followers. Um, I don't think I need to tell this group about the, the value of mothers and grandmothers. I remember, on a personal note, when I was answering my call to ministry, and I was very young, and as I was in college, and because I was very young answering my call to ministry, the last thing I wanted to tell anybody was about my call to ministry. Um, when I was when I was dealing with that, you know, the image of a preacher was not what a twenty year old would tell his friends. So, uh, and this is I think typical of most people that answer the call to ministry, particularly young in life, uh, they answer the call to ministry, but they have to kind of grow into the role of pastor, preacher, all that stuff. When I was answering my call to ministry, uh, the one person that I was excited about telling was my paternal grandmother. Uh, she of all my family, my family were church-going folks, but most of all my family would have said, don't be too fanatical about this stuff now, except my grandmother, my grandmother Patterson. And she was the one that I was most excited about telling. And I kept working on getting my um, courage up when I was 20 years old again. I kept working on getting my courage up to tell my grandmother. Uh, she passed away suddenly before I had a chance to tell her, um, which was slightly devastating to a 20-year-old. I, I like to think since then, now that I've learned a little more about Scripture, I think since she's part of that great cloud of witnesses, she knows what happened with my life. She knows what happened with my life. Uh, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't think that great cloud of witnesses can see or know anything that would diminish the bliss of heaven. But I think they might can see and know things um, that would add to their joy in heaven. 
anyway, I don't need to tell you folks about the, the influence of a mother or a grandmother. And that's who influenced um, Timothy. His dad probably was a good man. But uh, as far as the faith goes, there's no record that he influenced Timothy. But anyway, notice how Paul refers to, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwells first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And Paul certainly would know. Uh, verses 6 and 7 are two of my favorite verses, particularly verse 7. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. And again, he's calling Timothy to come visit him in prison in Rome. I think the assumption for everybody was that Timothy was going to take over the role for Paul as the head of the Christian movement. So Paul's encouraging. Look at verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Um, so Paul ordained, they might not have used that term in the first century, Paul participated in laying hands on Timothy, commissioning, ordaining Timothy, praying for Timothy. And you, you see this actions, these actions in the book of Acts. He's, I'm sure he prayed for Timothy to be full of the Holy Spirit. So uh, Paul, Paul is reminding Timothy of that, that event, you know, the, that, that how Paul laid hands on him. But he's saying to Timothy, and this is so critical for our spiritual life, fan into flame. The gift of God. By the way, the word gift there in the Greek is charisma. Or the, if it's plural, it's charismata. Uh, you probably know an English word that comes from charisma, charisma, charismata. Um, in, in the, in the non-Christian world, charisma just means, I don't know what it means in the non-Christian world, popularity, self-confidence. But in the Christian world, charisma means God's giftedness to somebody. And of course, charismata are the gifts. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase charismatic renewal movement. Uh, that's the part of the Christian church that focuses on the gifts. We need to all pay attention to those. It's a biblical concept. But uh, Paul's talking about the gift that is in Timothy, that was given to Timothy, conveyed to Timothy through the laying on of hands. Um, which I'm sure what Paul's talking about here is, is Timothy's gift for ministry, Timothy's gift to be able to be bold in, in preaching the gospel. But notice what Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame. The flame dies in our lives. The flame dies in our lives. You take the coal away from the fire, it, 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 it'll fade away. And, I'm sure, and here was Timothy pastoring in Ephesus, one of the most dynamic churches in, in the first century, in one of the most dynamic cities. Paul is talking to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus, and he's saying, um, fan into flame. You know, we have to be careful because um, it's really easy to slip into being a nominal Christian. And by the way, for those of you that are Methodist types in the room, I'll remind you, John Wesley has a famous sermon where he says there is no such thing as an almost Christian. You either are or you aren't. Uh, John Wesley, I think Paul, would have an issue with the phrase nominal Christian. 
We use it a lot because I don't know what else to call those folks. Um, those people who are um, tentatively connected to the Christian movement. So we call them nominal Christians sometimes. But I think Paul and John Wesley would say, I'm not sure there can be such. Either you're in or you're not. You know, um, but what happens in the Christian faith is if you aren't careful, the fire of the Spirit fades. You know, I, I'm always amazed at the people who kind of, sort of, want to be Christian, but they don't spend any time in the Word. They don't spend any time in prayer. Corporate and private worship doesn't seem very important to them. And those are the ways we fan the flame. Those are the ways we fan the flame. And, um, you know, with, with our ancestors, not that long ago, you know, we would worship two or three times a week corporately. Which is why Christians used no more hymns than they know now. Now we get three that we can give you on Sunday morning, if we're fortunate. But we used to do hymns on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, it's, it's, I think it's harder in our generation. Well, in some ways it's easier. You've got podcasts. You've got, you know, our culture is inundated with the Word, is inundated with preachers. You can go on YouTube and listen to preachers 24-7. So in some ways it's easier than our ancestors had it. But, you know, the problem is I, I remember what Billy Graham said one time. Sometimes people get just enough of the Christian faith to be immunized against the real thing. They get just enough of the Christian faith to think they're okay, to think they're in. And, you know, they kind of slip into that being a nominal Christian. Um, and and it, they become satisfied. Um, anyway, I think you get what Paul's saying to Timothy here about fanning into flame. Again, I'm preaching to the choir to those of you that come out on a snowy morning, uh, obviously fanning into flame the gift of the Spirit in you uh, is something you pay attention to. But um, one of the reasons the American church is so weak is Americans, it doesn't take much church to do them. You know, look, the biggest Christian churches in the world today are in Korea. One of the reasons for that is their 4 or 5 a.m. prayer services daily prayer services that are well attended. Um, if you go to the African continent or if you go to um, near or below the equator, worship services aren't an hour. And not that it has to be a certain amount of time in order for the Spirit to work, but you just see the hunger and the joy those people have at being in those spots, being in those places where Jesus is happening. Um, not so much in the West, and not so much in the civilized, industrialized, scientific West. doesn't take much church to do us. Um, anything left to itself, whether it's your yard, your garden, your marriage, your health, your spirituality, anything left to itself will deteriorate. Uh, you've got to act upon it. You've got to do something uh, in order for it not to deteriorate. That's a basic law of physics that sometimes American Christians don't get. 
Uh, you can't just not act upon it. Yeah, try that with your yard, your garden, your marriage, your health. Um, anything left to itself will deteriorate. You've got to fan the flame of the spiritual life. So Paul, um, because Paul's calling Timothy into a significant role of leadership. And we all have roles of leadership because somebody's watching each one of us. Maybe your grandkids. Somebody's watching us. So we, we are placed in roles of leadership. We're placed in roles of mentoring other people in the Christian faith. Uh, Paul is calling Timothy into a significant, significant role. And he says, fan into flame. The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And here comes the verse. And I bet some of you know it well. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, or your translations can do different things with the Greek there. Paul, you know, Paul, you could say God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That, that word self-control there is a unique word. It, it can almost mean self-control. Um, or it can almost mean a sound mind, which they're probably closer than we realize. A sound mind will lead to self-control. Self-control will lead to a sound mind. And that's why the English is translated both ways. Um, what's in front of me is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Power you know the Greek word for power. You know more Greek than you realize. The Greek word for power is dunamis. What's an English word we get from that? Dynamite. If you see it spelled out, it looks very much like dynamite. Um, that's power. I think we know what power means. And it's, you know, it's, it's not power to leap over buildings with a single bound, but it's power to preach the gospel. It's power to live the Christian life. Love, we, we know about love, agape, and that self-control or sound mind. But it's interesting that Paul starts out by saying, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, some translations will say timidity, which is a fancy word for fear. But it's interesting because you see how close the root for timidity is to Timothy. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of Christians that need to be told on a regular basis. God has not given you a spirit of fear, so quit, t quit being so fearful. God has not given you a spirit of fear. When, when the fear shows up, it's not from God. God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, um, but of power, love, and self-control. That's why I think a lot of people have found this to be a very encouraging verse. Um, to just remind yourself, if, if, you're, if you're feeling the fear, is probably not of God. God wants us to be prudent and wise. We've read the book of Proverbs, but not fearful. Not fearful. You know, I, I, fear is really an issue. Um, and I get it. Our world's a fearful world. It's always been. Uh, probably less dangerous now than it was to our ancestors. You know, in ancestors, in Paul's day, a, a toothache could lead to death in Paul's day. Um, but for all the reasons, our world just, our world keeps handing us the gift of fear. But that's not from God. Now, what's interesting in regards to Timothy at this point is uh, a lot of, 
preachers have waxed eloquent. That Paul would not need to tell Timothy this. If Paul didn't think Timothy had had a rather fearful or timid personality. And he may have had. You know, part of me likes to say Timothy may be an example that God can use shy, fearful people. And maybe Timothy, because there's other places, by the way. You know, Paul's going to say to Timothy, don't let people look down on you because of your youthfulness. So evidently, Timothy had maybe an issue with being timid and fearful. He was a young pastor in a dynamic church in a dynamic city of Ephesus. And Paul's calling him to Rome to give him the mantle of leadership in the early Christian movement. So Timothy may have had an issue with fear or timidity. So Timothy's a good character study and how we can get over that. We really can't get over that. Um, the older I get, though, the more I, I'm convinced. I think Timothy was just average and normal. You know, we all have fear. Courage is just doing something even though you're fearful. Courage is not doing something because you don't have the fear. We all have the fear. So courage is doing it regardless. Yeah, you, you take your fear and you go on the journey. So um, I'm not so sure that Timothy was more fearful than anyone else, uh, particularly when I, when I keep looking at what Paul's calling him to. You know, if he did not have some fear and trepidation, I'd, I'd be a little concerned about Timothy at this point. So he may just been average. So maybe what Paul's saying here is just for all of us average folks who need to just take the fear that we have and, and, and move on, do what God's calling us to do. But uh, this is a great confession of faith. You know, for most of us, we need to write this and put it on our mirror so we can see it every day. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control slash sound mind. Um, this is a good place to stop because that is a great, great verse.